Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives. If you are enjoying this podcast, please follow us using your favorite podcast software. A reminder, as you're making your travel plans, remember johnnydollarair.com. johnnydollarair.com is a Priceline affiliate link. So if you end up booking through it, part of the purchase price supports the great detectives of old-time radio at no additional cost to you. That's johnnydollarair.com. Well, now it's time for this week's episode of yours truly, Johnny Dollar. The original air dates, February 22nd, 23rd, and 24th, 1956. It's the Bennett Matter episodes 3 through 5. From Hollywood, it's time now for... Johnny Dollar. Andrew Court, Johnny. How's it going, Andy? Well, the police have been talking to that arsonist, George Foley, all night long. He won't admit a thing. Won't talk about anything. They're wondering now how long they can hold him. He's the man who fired that building, Andy. Well, we've got to have something more for the district attorney, Johnny. We haven't tied Foley to Bennett at all. If we can definitely charge him with firing that building, then we'll have a lever to go after Bennett. I got an idea. What? Meet you in an hour. Tonight and every weekday night, Bob Bailey and the transcribed adventures of the man with the action-packed expense account, America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator, yours truly, Johnny Dollar. (laughs) Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar. To the Four State Fire Insurance Corporation, 4065 Spear Boulevard, Hartford, Connecticut. The following is an accounting of expenditures during my investigation of the Bennett arson matter. Expense account item six, one dollar, two drinks. Andrew Cord and myself in Cookie's Place, a half a block from San Francisco's Hall of Justice. Andy's a good insurance man, thorough. Well, it's pretty certain they'll have to release Foley unless he admits something, or we can find more evidence against him. How about Bennett? Still no word. Johnny, you can see what we're up against. Yeah. Want one? No, no thanks, Johnny. It's for a while. Listen, we had this case tied into Tony Midas until he turned up dead. A vengeance motive against Bennett for sending him to prison five years ago. Yeah? All right. Now we know it wasn't Midas, and we're sure it's this George Foley. At least according to Bill Underwood, and Bill certainly knows the arson racket. Yeah, no man better. All right, then. Who shot Bennett? Oh, I don't know, Johnny, but that's not our worry at the thank moment. Thank you, Andy, thank It might have been Foley. It couldn't have been Midas. But there is someone else. You mean Bennett's niece? Sure, sure, his niece. She had a reason because of what Bennett did to Midas, who was her husband. And she's got a reason to help us. Nobody can find her. Nobody knows where she is. They'll find her. And I want to make a deal. What? Sure. If I find her, I'll ask her what information she can give us about Bennett and Foley. Possibly she has something. She said she did once. Now, look, if she shot her uncle, she'll have to stand for assault and attempt to kill. Can we give her legal help in her case? 
Johnny, I don't know. I want to know if I can promise her that if I see her. Can I? Well, you can tell her that we'll do what we can, the very best that we can. Okay, good. Want another drink? No, thanks, John. All right, I'll try and get in touch with Elizabeth Bennett. How? The police haven't gotten anywhere. Oh, I've been here two days, and I got friends all over this town. Expense account item seven, one dollar and five cents, cab fare. From the Hall of Justice to the apartment house of Marty Engel. Lawyer, philosopher, and egg poacher. Again? Yeah. You better close that door and lock it, Mr. Engel. It's awful late for this. Are you drunk? Nope. Locked? Now what? You ask me if I ever found Tony Midas to tell you about it. We found him, Mr. Engel. He's dead. Oh, no. Oh, yes. And he didn't do any of the things we thought he might have done. I'm here to find out what you might have done. How did he die? Tuberculosis. He's had it for two years. Didn't know. No, I didn't know. I didn't know about it. I don't know how to figure you, Engel. I haven't been able to ever since I met you. Doesn't make any difference what I think of you, but it does make a difference how you answer one question. A lot of difference to you. What is it? Did you help Arnold Bennett frame Tony Midas and send him up to San Quentin? You say Tony is dead. Now, what difference... Did you help Bennett frame him? No, I told you I defended Tony Midas in court. I tried my best to get him off. That's the truth. You're sure of that? I'm an honest man, if not a successful one. I told you the truth. All right, then, if that's the truth, you're not in any trouble and you can unlock that door. But if it's not the truth, you might get yourself killed. Why do you say that? Because somebody took a shot at Arnold Bennett last night. But he was lucky. It didn't kill him, but it came pretty near. You know who that somebody was? Elizabeth? That's a good guess. She hasn't got anything to lose now. She lost her husband. She might be out getting even for him if he was framed. And she thinks you helped frame him. I tell you, I didn't frame him. I defended him. I I think Bennett stacked everything against him. I told you that once. I think Midas was an innocent man, but there was nothing I could do. Wait a minute. What? Shh. Who are you expecting? No one. Ask who it is. Go ahead, ask who it is. Who who is it? Elizabeth Bennett, Mr. Engel. Tell her just a minute. Just a minute, Elizabeth. Okay, over there. Go on, get down fast. No, you don't! Engel, call the police! Hold it. Hold it, Elizabeth. Hold it up. Are you hurt? You? Are you hurt? No, I'm all right. Did I kill him? Did I kill him? Oh, Elizabeth, you didn't kill him. He ought to be dead. You don't know what you're talking about. He didn't have anything to do with framing Tony. He just told me. Then he was lying. He should be dead. He and my uncle. None of this will bring Tony back to you. Come on now, come on, let's get back. How many tramps have you met in your life, Mr. Dollar? A few, come on, come on. When you met my Uncle Arnold, you met a real one. He stole money from himself and made it look like Tony did it. And that one in there helped him. Why didn't you let me kill him? You're wrong about Engel. He didn't help your uncle. He tried to help Tony, honestly. Well, then I'm glad I didn't kill him. How's my uncle? He's getting better. 
Will he go to prison? We have to prove he hired somebody to fire the office building. He hired George Foley. I know that. Would you swear yes. to it? Yes. Can you? Yes. <laughs> he blamed it on Tony. When I went over to see Tony last month in the prison hospital, he was dying. Oh, I knew it. He had that, that look in his eyes. Helpless. And he knew what my uncle had done to him, and he couldn't do anything about it. But you figured you could. You shot your uncle when you found out Tony was dead. And you came here to kill Engel. I, I thought he helped Uncle Arnold send Tony to prison. I thought he helped kill Tony. They did kill him, you know, when they sent him to prison. They killed him as surely as if they'd shot him down. Five years I waited for Tony to get out of that awful place. I waited to hold him in my arms and tell him it was all over. Five years I waited to help him forget his hate and my hate. I'm loving him so much every day that... <laughs> Now he's dead. And what can you or I or anybody do about what they've done to Tony? Look at me, Mr. Dollar. I'm I'm not what you'd call beautiful. I'm not even pretty. Nobody ever looked at me twice until Tony. He looked at me and he loved me. And now he's dead. And I'm dead inside. Dead inside, and I'll be glad when I'm dead outside. <laughs> Shooting in this neighborhood. Wait a minute, officer. Uh, what's that? No one's hurt. Come on, Elizabeth. Elizabeth Bennett made a statement down at the Hall of Justice admitting she fired a shot at Arnold Bennett, hoping to kill him. She also admitted the assault on the lawyer, Marty Engel. Charges were immediately filed, and she was held in the woman's section of the city jail. In a separate statement, she told how she had seen Arnold Bennett meet George Foley in a downtown bar. Foley still maintained that he had nothing to do with the fire in the Bennett building and denied any connection with Arnold Bennett. I gave Elizabeth Bennett's statement to Andy Cord, and he took it to the assistant district attorney. I was still in the Hall of Justice when Marty Engel came in. Dollar? Oh, hello, Mr. Engel. How is Elizabeth? They're holding her. I'm not going to press any charges. Well, that's pretty decent of you, Mr. Engel. She's a pretty unhappy girl. I'd like to help her. Her uncle will probably press charges against her. I'd like to defend her. What? She needs a lawyer. I didn't do very well for her husband. Maybe I can do better for her. I hope so. Funny world, isn't it? Not tonight, it isn't. No, I guess not. Yeah. Well, I'll see you, Mr. Dollar. All right. Johnny? Oh, Andy, Hi. Kid, you ought to pat yourself on the back. They're going to go ahead against George Foley for the arson job. Enough for them now, huh? Uh, that's a pretty good case against him, whether he opens up and talks or not. A statement from him would still be better. Always. But he's been around, Johnny. He hasn't given anybody the time of day yet. Yeah. Oh, about uh, Elizabeth Bennett. I can arrange counsel for her. She's already got a lawyer, Randy. Okay, then we'll pay his fee. He doesn't want any fee. Uh, what's the matter, kid? <sighs> Boy... 
Maybe all this has been a little too much. Hey, what time is it? Ten uh, fifteen. There's a plane out at midnight. If you don't need me anymore, I think I'll be getting back to Hartford. Sure, Johnny. Sure, I'll look after things here. Expense account item seven, forty-nine dollars sixty-five cents. Hotel and meals in San Francisco. Item eight, same as item three, transportation back to Hartford. I caught the midnight plane. It was in Hartford at two o'clock the next afternoon. I went directly to my apartment and went to bed. I was awakened the following morning about seven o'clock. What the? Johnny Dollar. San Francisco calling Mr. Dollar. Okay. Is this Mr. Dollar? Yes, yes. Mr. Andrew Cord is calling. One moment, please. Go ahead, please. Johnny? Hi. Can you come back to San Francisco right away? Can I? Well, I just got home. We need you again. Jake Eggleston is going to defend Foley in court. Eggleston? He's already got him out on a writ. What? This case is worth half a million dollars to us, Johnny. If anything happens that Foley gets off, we won't have a chance to get Bennett. You sound scared. I am. Somehow, Bennett's holding the best cards again. We got a good case against Foley. Once that's settled, we can get Bennett. I want to make sure. (sighs) Okay, okay, I'll get the first plane. Thanks, Johnny. Even as I hung up the phone, I was thinking of Marty Engel's words. You'll never get Arnold Bennett. He's too good for you, Dollar. Too good for your insurance company, your fire investigators, everybody. No stronger man ever lived, he said. And somebody had to prove Engel was wrong. Johnny Dollar. Andrew Court, Johnny. Did you have a nice trip back here to Frisco? I slept most of the way. How's it going? Uh, Good and bad, Johnny. Good that we've got George Foley on trial for setting fire to the building. Bad that we haven't connected him to Bennett yet. And Bennett's the guy we want. Well, once you get a conviction on Foley, you can go after Bennett. A lot of expert testimony's been thrown around here, and the jury's been sleeping through most of it. Besides that, Foley's got one of the best defense men in the business, Jake Eggleston. Yeah, I've heard of him. He's pretty slick. He's going to make us lose this case, Johnny. Not if I can help it. Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to the Four State Fire Insurance Corporation, 4065 Spear Boulevard, Hartford, Connecticut. The following is an accounting of expenditures during my investigation of the Bennett matter. Expense account item 9, $124. Air transportation, Hartford, back to San Francisco again. And the Bennett case, which I thought was finished with. I was at the Hall of Justice by 9.30. I met Andrew Court outside of the Superior Court. This may be the last day of the trial, Johnny. Anything new since I talked to you on the phone, Andy? Well, I may be worrying for nothing since Finley's handled it all pretty well for the state. He's one of the assistant DAs, but Foley's still holding on to a not guilty plea. Well, isn't that just coaching? Oh, maybe. But you remember Foley didn't make any statement when we took him, and the police got nothing out of him at all. Foley had something like 28 arrests besides two convictions. He knew the ropes. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's okay here? Yeah? Sure. Just in time. Yeah, seems to be the, the clerk now. Yeah. 
Court is now in session. His Honor Judge William J. Bainbridge presiding. Everybody stand. <laughs> Be seated. John Dollar. Hey, well, I didn't think they'd call you first. No. Raise your right hand. You solemnly swear the testimony you're about to give is the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth to help you, God? I do. Be seated. As you know, I'm Charles Finley with the district attorney's office. State your name, please. Johnny Dollar. State your occupation, please. I'm an insurance investigator. How long have you been engaged in your profession as an insurance investigator? Ten years or more. Tell us, please, prior to that, what kind of work did you do? I was in the United States Marine Corps for four years. Before that, I was Detective Sergeant Second Grade with the New York Police Department. Do you have any papers or letters in your possession that verify your professional status, Mr. Dollar? Yes, I do. I have letters of reliability from 13 insurance companies and adjustment bureaus I've been associated with, and my record as police officer. Thank you. Will the court clerk please hand these papers to counsel for the defense so he may examine them? Yes, sir. Thank you. Now, tell us what your connection with this case is, Mr. Dollar. I was employed by the Four State Fire Insurance Corporation of Hartford, Connecticut, to conduct an investigation in regard to one of their policyholders. Arnold Bennett. Yes, Arnold Bennett. Will you please tell the court what the results of that investigation were? The Bennett building was destroyed by fire. I worked with arson experts from my own organization and with the police here to determine the cause of the fire. Go on, please. At the scene of the fire, our expert, William Underwood, located certain items which we recognized as part of the paraphernalia generally used by professional arsonists. Will you please state what those items were? A scrap of celluloid and a paraffin wick. Anything else? Samples of the ashes, which were later analyzed and proved to be celluloid ashes. I wish to remind the ladies and gentlemen of the jury that the public fire adjuster, the gentleman from the Skyline Laboratories, and the two gentlemen from the Fire Inspection Department have previously testified as to the identity and uses of these items. Will you continue, Mr. Dollar? Well, these particular items suggested that the fire was of an incendiary origin. The next problem was to establish the exact method used in starting the fire. Were you able to determine that method? Yes, sir. In order to refresh the minds of the jury, would you mind describing what was established? A heavy woolen wick. This one, Mr. Dollar? That one, or one like it. Exhibit C. Please continue. This wick had been soaked in paraffin and then stuffed into a paper sack that was filled with celluloid. It's a simple method. The wick is lit uh, and takes anywhere from three to ten minutes to burn down to the celluloid. Now, once that happens, the celluloid flares up and fires anything combustible in the vicinity. And that is the method you determined caused the fire in the Bennett building? Yes. And I'd like to qualify that by saying the arson experts from my own company and the gentlemen from the police and fire departments here in San Francisco determined it definitely. Mr. Dollar, by this means, you connected the defendant, George Foley, with the fire you were investigating? Yes, we did. How? George Foley improvised the method I have just described. Improvised? You mean it is his method? I object, Your Honor. The prosecution is putting words into the mouth of the witness. I'll rephrase for Mr. Eggleston. Is this method identifiable with the defendant? Yes, sir. Will you explain the identification? The police files here show that Foley has been convicted of setting two other fires in this state. 
On both occasions, he employed that method of firing. Your Honor, I object. The career of the defendant as a professional arsonist is a matter of public record. The defendant's previous record has no bearing on this case, I object. Mr. Dollar, will you rephrase and delete any reference to the defendant's criminal history? The procedure in locating an arsonist is to first establish the method of operation. In this case, where the Wick celluloid method was used, the defendant's name came up immediately. The defendant made an attempt to call on Arnold Bennett in the hospital. The defendant was positively identified by three witnesses as the man they had seen near the Bennett building prior to the fire. I remind the jury of the testimony of those witnesses. Go on, Mr. Dollar. The police crime laboratory examined all of the clothing Foley was wearing at the time of his arrest and all of the clothing in his room. There was definite evidence that he had been in the Bennett building. Will you tell us what sort of evidence, please? Well, uh, paint smudges on the soles of his shoes and metal filings in cuffs of his trousers, compared with samples that were still available in the building where certain painting and metal work had been in progress. You connected him with the improvised method of firing. You proved that paint smudges and metal filings came from the Bennett building. The defendant attempted to contact Arnold Bennett. What else? Arnold Bennett's niece, Elizabeth Bennett, informed me that her uncle, Arnold Bennett, hired the defendant to fire the building to collect insurance. I was on the stand all the rest of the morning. When Finley ended his questioning, he turned me over to defense counsel Eggleston. Eggleston contested every bit of established testimony and recommended that my remarks be stricken from the trial records. The summations came right after that, and then the case went to the jury. Expense account item 10, $3, lunch, for Andrew Cord and myself. Foley has to be convicted or we'll be on the defense when Bennett's insurance claim comes to court. And we'll probably get stuck with it. Hey, while the jury's out, why don't I go over to the jail and talk with Foley? Well, what good would that do, John? Well, Foley must know they'll give him the works if he admits something He'll to us. He'll admit nothing. He sits there in court like they were talking about someone else. Oh, Johnny, it's too late. Yeah, but if he did, you could go ahead and file criminal charges against Bennett. Beat him to the punch. Well, I'd like that. Oh, we get Foley and we've beaten Bennett, and I like that. The job of getting to a prisoner who's standing trial isn't an easy one, especially when he's under the surveillance of a smart defense attorney like Eggleston. I talked to Judge Brainbridge in his chambers and told him what I had in mind. I broke down the case against Foley as the insurance company saw it, and the possible case against Arnold Bennett if Foley was found guilty. Judge Brainbridge arranged for me to see Foley. He was sitting on his cot. Eggleston was standing nearby. Hello, Dollar. Hello, Eggleston. Hi, what do you want? Well, I thought we ought to talk about this thing while there's still time. If it's okay with you, Mr. Eggleston. It's okay with me, Dollar. I'll be right here. Still time for what? To get you part of a break, Foley? Oh, that's a real good one, that is. You sit on a witness chair all morning, you tell him what a bad boy I am, then you walk in here and tell him you want to give me a break. I do. Uh, go away. Uh, now, wait a minute, George. It won't hurt to listen to oh, him. Oh, you're a great one, you. I'm the guy who's sitting in this cell. Both of you can walk out of here and have a good steak for dinner tonight. All right, George. Uh, listen to him. This isn't a courtroom. When you were first hauled in, Foley, you could have made a statement telling us Bennett hired you to fire that building, waived a jury trial, and thrown yourself on the mercy of the court. But you didn't do that. You made everybody work hard to give it to you. And that's exactly what they're going to do. That jury will come out pretty soon and throw the book at you. Is that true? I'm not so sure of that, Dollar. 
Uh, tell us precisely why you're here. You both know my company's after Arnold Bennett. He's filed claim against us for not paying off his fire policy. Foley, we know he hired you to fire that building. Yeah. And if you're smart, you'll send for the guard and make a request for the court to come back in session before the jury returns. You can tell them Bennett hired you. You can change your plea to guilty and throw yourself on the mercy of the court. It'll probably save you five years on your sentence. And so I turn hero and make everything nice for you to go after Bennett. Huh? If you do that, his claim will be thrown out by the insurance commissioner and we'll prefer charges against him. And he'd be right up there with me, huh? Making little ones out of big ones. That's right. You're overstepping your province here, Dollar. Oh, now, look, there isn't much time. The dollar, Foley, this man can be. advise you to wait until the jury comes in, and that won't be very long. But then it'll be too late for you to help yourself. I don't like this high-pressure stuff. I don't care what you like or dislike, Mr. Eggleston. Now, listen, Foley. They've got an eight-point case against you in there. Is he right, Eggleston? It doesn't make any difference. The jury you decides. You say it saved me five years on my sentence. Yes. George, what do you think? Up to you, George. I've told you what I think. Ah, swell spot, swell. Oh, come on, come on, what is it? I'll risk it. You're crazy. There's a chance those 12 clunkheads will walk out and tell everybody I'm not guilty. Come on, get out. Those last five years will be pretty hard ones. Guard. Guard. Thank you for the offer just the same, Dollar. You don't use your head much, Foley. If it hadn't been for you, I wouldn't be in here. So don't worry too much about what happens to me. If it weren't for guys like you, I wouldn't be in business. And I'm not worried. Dollar. Yeah? Yeah, I hope they let me loose on this one. For your sake. Don't plan on it. Oh, on a kind of... I'd like to kill you or something. <laughs> Johnny Deller. Hi, Johnny. Andy, I saw George Foley. I wasn't able to make him change his plea. Well, it was a good try, Johnny. Jury's still out? Yeah. That means they're arguing all the technical evidence. I was just thinking. No one really believes we'll get Arnold Bennett. What do you think? I think we will. I know we will. Well, if we can get Foley, we can get Bennett. Hey, wait a minute. Hey, the uh, jury foreman just sent for the bailiff. I'll be right there. Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to the Four State Fire Insurance Corporation, 4065 Spear Boulevard, Hartford, Connecticut. The following is an accounting of expenditures during my investigation of the Bennett arson fraud. Expense account item 11, 10 cents, one phone call to the hospital. The report on Arnold Bennett substantiated the newspaper story that he was recovering from the gunshot wound inflicted by his niece. Well, one thing, Johnny, he'll be alive for us if we can go after him. Oh, I wish it had worked with Foley. I think I could have made it work if that lawyer Eggleston hadn't been there. Well, it's after four. You know, if that jury doesn't come in with a verdict pretty soon, they'll have to adjourn for the night. Yeah. Want to smoke? Yeah, thanks, Johnny. I would like one. Yeah. Thanks. Hey, they're coming back in. Hmm? Oh, yeah. Come on. Stuffy in this courtroom? Yeah. 
Excuse me. Court is now in session. Be seated. Has the jury reached a verdict in the case of the state versus George Foley? We have, sir. Will you please read the verdict in this court? We... <coughs> we, the jury, find the defendant, George Foley, guilty as charged. That does it. Dollar! Dollar! See me, Dollar! Come see me! I got some things to tell you now. Who's with you, Dollar? Andy Cord with the insurance company. Oh. Now, look, I haven't got any deals to offer, Foley. You know that. Yeah, I know. And so I took a chance. It's a lousy five more years. What about Arnold Bennett? You're a little anxious. I want some information first. They only gave us ten minutes, Foley. Where's Bennett now? He's still in the hospital. He's going to be all right. He's out, my man. It's a break. Oh, come on, Foley. Let's have it if you have anything to say. Can you get Bennett? Can you really get him? I'll tell you frankly. We think we can get him with or without your help now. It doesn't make too much difference. Maybe it'll take longer without your help, but we'll get him. The fact that the court is going to convict you for having set fire to Bennett's office building is the lever we've needed. We can go after him now. You want to help us, Foley? I don't want to help you or your stinking insurance company, but I hate the idea, Bennett. Mr. Know-and-do-everything, running around, eating good food, and sleeping in his nice bed while I'm rotting away in prison. Sure, sure, he hired me to fire his building. He paid me 2500 bucks to put the torch to that lousy building of his. He said he could throw all the blame on a guy named Tony Midas if it ever came up. We want the facts, Foley. How'd he first contact you? I got a friend who knows things, see? And my friend told me to contact him. When? A couple of days before the job. Come on, Foley, who's your friend? I'm going to tell you everything. Did you talk to Bennett in person about firing the building? I talked to him on the phone after my friend told me about him. Bennett said he wanted the place to go down because he's having money trouble, taxes and all. And he offered me a thousand bucks for the job. Now, wait a minute, Foley. You just said you got 2500 I did, I did. I... I hung up on him when he offered me the thousand. I called him back later on and told him I wanted four thousand. Well, we argued about it and then finally hit on the twenty-five hundred. Did you meet him then? Sure. No, no, I never met him. I, I saw him once and I walked by the building and looked it over, but I never met him. Bennett's niece said she saw you two together, Foley. A sworn statement. Yeah, she's a liar. How about the money? How'd he pay it to you? He left it for me in the check stand at the bus terminal over on Fourth Street. I told him how to do that and when to leave it. Now, let me get this straight, Foley. You made the deal to fire the building over the phone. And you went ahead and looked at the job. You never talked to Bennett in person? That's right. And you made arrangements for him to pay you $2,500 by leaving it in the check stand at the bus terminal. Yeah, yeah. When did you make these arrangements? The day before the job. How'd you work it? I just told you. I mean the money. Oh, uh, half of it the first time, and after the job was over, he, he left the other half for me. And you got it all? Sure, sure, in cash. Why were you trying to see him in the hospital after he was shot? You try and shake him down for another five? Oh, Come on, let's start over. What do you mean? Oh, you're trying to sell us a bill of goods here. For what reason, I don't know. But I know this. 
You had to meet Bennett. You had to see him fully. You had to talk it over with him personally. I just told you I picked up the money in the bus time. I don't believe that. Bennett wouldn't have left the money for you to pick up. You could have just gone away with it. And after the building was burned, if it had been that way, Bennett didn't have to pay you the balance. Now, when did you see him? It's pretty important to know when and where and how many times you and Bennett got together. Thought you said you could get him whether I told you anything or not. We can, we can, brother. Don't ever doubt that. But if you tell us some facts, we can get him faster. All right, now. Where did you first meet him? Was it in a restaurant? Someplace with people around? No, no, uh... I met him in his car. He was parked on Market Street near 5th. That's the way we arranged to meet each other over the phones. Did anybody see you meet him? People on the street, I guess. When did this meeting happen? Night I torched his building. He paid you then? Yeah. The whole 2500 Yeah, all of it. What'd you do with the money? Never mind. Do you still have it? Never mind. Oh, this is a waste of time. You aren't telling us anything. Well, why should I? Why'd you call us here if you didn't have anything to say? Well, I'm saying something. You guys aren't listening. We continued questioning Foley about his association with Arnold Bennett. Each time he explained it, it was a different story. The only thing he admitted was that Bennett had hired him to fire the building. As far as the details of it were concerned, they were lost in a jumble of contradictory answers he gave us. Expense account item 12, $5.60, dinner for Andrew Court and myself. The next morning, we returned to the Hall of Justice to question George Foley once more. All right, Foley. Now, how much did you say Arnold Bennett paid you for the job? A thousand dollars. You told us twenty-five hundred one time. Another time, you said five thousand. Now, come on, what was it? A thousand dollars. And when did he pay you? Right after I fired the building. I met him right afterwards down on the street in his car. He asked me if it was all set, and I told him to listen for the sirens. Pretty soon, somebody put in the alarm and the fire engines come out. He paid me that, all right. The place was three quarters gone by that time. He knew I did a good job. Where was this you met him now? A couple of blocks in the building. Did anybody see you together? No. Where did you telephone him from? From my place. The same night you started the fire? Yeah, yeah. And he brought you the money that night, and you cased the building that night, and you started the fire. All all this in one night. You got it. Now, that's the ticket, boy. It became increasingly evident that Foley was attempting to convince us that he was mentally deranged. In spite of the fact that he'd already been tried and found guilty and was slated to appear at 10.30 the following morning for sentencing. It's an old trick, and with arsonists, where sanity is questioned from the beginning, a good one. However, Foley had been examined by three psychiatrists appointed by the courts. I waited in the jail cell with Foley while Andy Cord went out to get copies of their findings. When he returned, we showed them to Foley. Okay, good. Here you are, John. Well, what are you showing me these things for? To let you know there's no way to get out of it now, Foley. These are from psychiatrists. All of them had a good look at you. You're sane. You're all right. You remember when they looked at you? No. All right, look at the dates on the paper. You can read, can't you? Sure. January 15th, January 16th, January 21st. Witnesses were around for all the examinations. Well? Well? Are you through playing games now? Okay, Dolly, you guys win. Come on, give us the story. Well, 
I met Arnold Bennett at the Hopkins bar about a month before the fire. I made sure I'd meet him there. Now, what do you mean, Foley? Well, I've been setting fires for a living for a long time now. I always have a list of people like Bennett who could use a fire. They get around. I knew he was in trouble four or five years ago with the income tax people. They sent a guy to prison for cover-up. Tony Midas. Yes, yeah, Tony Midas. I figured he'd be needing another one pretty soon, so... We had a drink. I brought it up. Who paid for the drinks? He did. Who saw you together? The bartender. His name is um, Alfred. There was a maid of D there, a couple of people at the tables. I put the proposition up to him. How'd he like to have his building burnt down and collect his $500,000 and get himself out of trouble? Well, he said he'd like that fine. I told him it cost him 5000 bucks in advance. He said he couldn't raise that much, but he did manage to get 3500 together. I took it and I, I did the job. What'd you do with the money? I still got it. Where? It's not going to do me any good now. I buried it in a gallon can of vacant lot over by the tower. I could show you where. Okay. We'll get you to do that. Swell, I'll be glad. Hey. What? I can send Bennett up the same way you're sending me up. Huh? I can testify against him at his trial. The next morning at 10.30, George Foley received the maximum sentence. Two hours later, charges were filed against Arnold Bennett, naming him for conspiracy, arson, attempted defraud, and collusion. A warrant was issued for his immediate arrest, but it was never served. Arnold Bennett died in the hospital that night. In a way, you could still say that no one ever beat him. He beat himself. Expense account item 13, $87.50, hotel and board in San Francisco. Item 14, another $125, transportation back to Hartford. Item 15, $35, miscellaneous. Expense account total, $1,440.37. Remarks? Nothing. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Remember, there'll be another intriguing story for you beginning next Monday night. Next week, the Fathom Five matter, death on the high seas. Join us, won't you? Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, starring Bob Bailey, is transcribed in Hollywood. Written by John Dawson, it is produced and directed by Jack Johnstone. Heard in this week's cast were Lillian Bayef, Stacey Harris, Chet Stratton, Will Wright, Marvin Miller, Hans Conried, Edgar Bellier, and Parley Bear. Musical supervision by Amerigo Marino. Be sure to join us on Monday night, same time and station, for another exciting story of yours truly, Johnny Dollar. This is Roy Rowan speaking.
Welcome back. As John Abbott notes in his book, The Who is Johnny Dollar Matter, this is a story that had a very long history, actually uh, about seven and a half years. It started as the Jeff Regan uh, story, The Man Who Came Back, uh, with Jack Webb in August of 1948. Then in August of 1949, uh, we heard it recently as the champion caper. And it was also done on uh, Johnny Dollar as the Elliot champion matter. And more recently, we heard it uh, with elements of it in the Upjohn matter. I appreciated the story having trial scenes and post-trial scenes, even if it required a very compressed timeline for dramatic purposes. And with an indication that essentially no time had passed between the call from Andrew Cord to Johnny showing up on Thursday. It's like, and if you were going to be having the trial so soon, why did you let Johnny go home? There's no way that Johnny shouldn't have been on hand for the trial. I mean, unless this was unexpected. Like, sorry, Johnny, we didn't know that they were going to use a time warp for discovery. And they just cycled through uh, weeks and months of jury selection and pre-trial work using a time machine. So we're actually having the trial tomorrow, so come on back. Probably the one thing that is realistic about uh, soap operas when they do trials is that they tend to drag on forever. But I think that for the idea that these uh, cases have a certain pace, I, I think that you just kind of have to allow that. The arsonist trying to go for an insanity plea with the insurance uh, investigators after already being convicted was special, but then again, criminals can be interesting guys. <laughs> Now, of course, we got some background for Johnny Dollar uh, in the trial testimony with his previous service in the Marines and the NYPD. Now, of course, this contradicts what was said in previous eras. Edmund O'Brien's Johnny Dollar stated that he'd been a Pinkerton man. And during the Charles Russell era, it had been stated that Johnny Dollar served in the Army. This probably speaks to Jack Johnstone's approach to the show. In many ways, he was establishing a continuity for Johnny Dollar so that he knew and anyone else on the series had a feel for who Johnny is and what his background was. And I think that's going to govern going forward. But he was not going to be in a position where he was digging through or trying to find where six-year-old scripts were. It really is his own sort of continuity that's being established here. It's also worth noting that the way this episode ends... Uh, with the uh, insurance agents doing a lot of work to finally be able to charge their man, only to have the man die, is actually reminiscent uh, to the way that the 1954 Dragnet film ended, in which Stacy Harris, who played 
Andy in this episode played the heavy in that movie. So an interesting little connection there. All right, well, on to listener comments and feedback. And we have a really good email from Jonathan regarding the Fire in Paradise matter. He writes, Hello, Adam. It's Jonathan from South Las Vegas again. I grew up in Atlantic City and traveled all over South Jersey growing up. When I heard the insurance manager tell Johnny that he was going to Paradise, New Jersey, 50 miles east of Atlantic City and 50 miles south of Philly, I wondered what was going on. First, I thought that 50 miles south was going to be in Delaware Bay. When I pulled up the map of my old stomping grounds, I saw that it was really around Millville, which is a big farming area. Livestock and fruit and vegetables. Most famous for the South Jersey beefsteak tomatoes. That makes the great marinara sauce for all the pizza and spaghetti for all the East Coast Italian restaurants who want the best. Looking at the real paradise, it is a suburb of the Cherry Hill area, which is a suburb of Philly right across the Delaware River where a lot of people commute to after working in Philly for the day. The areas closest to the bay are more industrial, and the parts that are more inland are more residential. In Johnny's time, there would have been much more farmland and much more country areas in this area because the tree growth along the Delaware River is quite dense. Where Paradise is now is a pretty developed part of Gloucester County, Mostly businesses that also serve the local coastal service, manufacturing and oil refineries to the south. Paradise is probably about 15 miles and was a flub by uh, the writer or an actor. Uh, the area of the east coast gets quite a bit of rain, so there is an enormous amount of deciduous trees, elm, oak, maple, and others. In the less developed areas and much has been left to keep the area in residential places really beautiful. The area between Philly and Atlantic City has an extended forest of pine trees called the Pine Barrens, which pretty much fills up the entire inside South New Jersey. Johnny would have driven through all of this on his way to the beach in Atlantic City. Well, thank you so much uh, for the email, Jonathan. I always learn something, and particularly when it comes to the finer points of East Coast geography. Growing up, my family traveled around the country quite a bit, and there were some random places we didn't get to in the lower 48, like Florida and New Mexico. But for the Northeast, we never went any further north than Pennsylvania. So, New Jersey, New York, New England, never been at all. I would say, in addition to the options that you suggested for the difference between 15 and 50, it could also be a sound recording quality issue. The recording for the Fire in Paradise matter was not nearly as high quality as most other Johnny Dollars we've been hearing. And when you're dealing with something like that, the finer points of, were they saying 15 or 50, can be kind of hard for us to hear. Like, even with the forward fisherman matter, it does sound like forward, especially on first listen. 
though it may be a bit of distortion rather than an error on either side. Well, now let's go ahead and thank our Patreon supporter of the day. Thank you to Rick, Patreon supporter since March of 2020. Currently supporting the program at the Shamus level of $4 or more per month. Thank you so much for your support, Rick. And that will actually do it for today. If you are enjoying this podcast, please follow us using your favorite podcast software. And be sure to rate and review us wherever you download this podcast from. We'll be back on Tuesday with another episode of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. But join us back here tomorrow for Tales of the Texas Rangers, where... Where was the boy when you first saw him, Mrs. Duncan? He was up this hill, about halfway between here and the brush. But he was on his way back toward the road. That's right. Oh, it must have been awful for him, seeing his folks get shot and having to run away to keep from being killed himself. Looks like he was shot at even after he ran away. How do you know that? When I was up there, I saw some bullet holes in the trees. You or your husband hear any shots before you got here? No. First we knew anything was wrong was when we saw the colored fellow running across the field. You're sure he was coming from this direction? Oh, yes. Right from where the car was. You know his name? His first name's Joe, but I don't know his last. I'm sure my husband does, though. Joe works for him sometimes. I think that'll be all for the time being, Miss Duncan. Thanks. If it's all right, Ranger, I reckon I'll wait for my husband and ride home with him. I... What's the matter, man? Nothing. I, I feel kind of... You're a little pale. You better sit down over here on this rock. Oh, thanks. I guess I am feeling a little sick. All of a sudden, when I looked at those bodies again, I... Honey, I didn't feel this way till now. It's reaction. Sometimes it takes a while to hit you. I got some water in a canteen in my car. Would you like some? I'll be all right. As soon as I sit for a minute. Well, that poor boy. The way he looked when he found out his folks were dead. His eyes. That awful cry. I hope you'll be with us then. In the meantime, do send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives, and check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.